0: It's Catholic Schools Week, and you're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement, and I'm your host, Jim Friend happy Catholic Schools Week, everybody. We have a special show planned for you today. Today, we're playing the very best in Catholic Education episodes on Advancing Our Church. And if you'd like to listen to any of our Catholic Education episodes, all you need to do is visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Go in the upper right-hand corner and click on Catholic Education, and all of our Catholic Education episodes will be listed there. Today, we're going to play some featured highlights from those episodes from some of the Catholic school leaders that we have had on the show. You know, it was a lot of fun for me to go down memory lane and revisit some of these episodes and uh, just hear again some of the amazing people who have been a part of our podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. And so without further ado, here's our first guest. Our first guest today is Steve Vergadamo. Steve and I had a conversation last summer And uh, Steve is a nationally recognized Catholic school advancement professional who has trained Catholic school administrators around the country, made a huge impact on Catholic education. And uh, I was just so grateful for the time that Steve spent on this interview. Uh, and the way that he talks about his own experience as a boy in Catholic school and how that kind of led him to become uh, a leader in Catholic education nationally. So without further ado, uh, here is Steve Vergadamo.
1: Now, with all of that said, there will some that will tell you, perhaps even my parents might tell you, that my uh, ministry in Catholic education and Catholic school administration began as early as my own elementary school education. Because I will tell you, or they would tell you, that during my elementary years of K-8, I spent more time in the principal's office, probably in the classroom. And by the time I was out of eighth grade, I had the equivalent of a master's degree in school building administration from sitting there and watching how well the sisters ran the school. (laughs) So in some ways, I would probably fall from an early age. I tell people today, young people especially be careful what you pray for, or be very specific, because God will answer your prayers. And in my case, um, he didn't my prayers. I did get to fly for a living, but I forgot to tell him what seat I wanted to sit in that he called me to serve his church in particular right here.
0: So Steve, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your um, current role as the Associate Superintendent for Leadership in the Archdiocese in New York.
1: Uh, happy to, again, as I previously mentioned, I think the Holy Spirit has kind of guided my life and how I was going to serve the Ministry of Catholic Education, starting out as a teacher, administrator, and then one of the pioneers in uh, development for Catholic schools, and then being called to work in as an associate superintendent, and then ultimately traveling around the country working with Catholic schools, committed to doing everything we could to keep Catholic schools open. And in seeing 6,000 Catholic schools in 120 different dioceses, I realized that the issues of uh, development, the issues of strategic planning, the issues of marketing, the issues of enrollment management were symptoms of the real disease that schools were suffering from. And I say that because every time I found that there was a great leader in a school, those other issues that we talk about of finance and governance that people would say are the largest threats to Catholic schools today were well, really not the largest threat. We didn't see that at all. The largest threat was really the leaders in the building and making sure we put the right leaders in the building, and realized that we were not doing enough to necessarily form future leaders uh, for our Catholic schools. I'm of a generation that was formed by the men and women religious who came before us, and I have to admit that my generation assumed a lot about the leaders that were coming into these positions in the future. So when given the opportunity to go to work with um, Dr. Tim McNiff, and particularly, of course, his eminent Cardinal Dolan, uh, who is so committed to Catholic schools and so committed to making them work and knowing how important leadership was, I accepted their invitation to go work in the archdiocese. And my responsibility is primarily to identify and form not just future leaders, but then work with them when they're in their initial position. I really believe that Seventy percent or more of our future Catholic school leaders are sitting in our classrooms today uh, as teachers, Uh, and the difference is that no one has called them to a larger role in leadership, and the responsibility of that belongs to all of us to do just as Jesus did, to tap them on the shoulder and say, come follow me, but then also give them the the skill sets that they need to be successful in doing that. So that's what that role is all about—it's uh, identifying, forming future leaders, putting them in place, and supporting them for three years. Uh, we uh, have a three-year formation program where we support our new principals and our new school leaders so that they can grow. But the role in leadership goes beyond that, because we also have not enough to form future leaders for our, our diocesan, archdiocesan leadership position Church. Uh, If you paid some attention to what is now going on across the country this year, there were as many as 10 superintendent searches going on at one time, and many of them came up with just interim superintendents unable to fill those positions because we're not focusing on a pipeline of succession. And I think we need to be doing more as a church to focus in on a pipeline of succession, not just forming principals. That's just the beginning of the pipeline. We need to be forming those that get central office experience, that get the uh, experience to serve at a higher level within the church to ensure the future viability of our school.
0: You're listening to the best of Catholic Education episodes here on Advancing Our Church. Our next guest is Dr. Tim Ewell. Tim is the superintendent for Montana Catholic Schools. Tim's also the host of Catholic School Matters Podcast, which I know if you're listening to this podcast, I can't imagine that you haven't heard uh, Dr. Yule, seen him on Twitter uh, or on LinkedIn or one of the social channels. Uh, Tim is a husband and a father, a podcaster, a superintendent, a lifelong Catholic school educator. I really enjoyed talking with Tim. He's got a great way with words. Um, in this clip we're going to play, he talks a little bit about how he recruits in leadership and uh, sometimes
2: it's the right fit for the person. Sometimes it's
0: not. Here's Dr. Tim Mule.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it makes, I mean, I tend to tend to think of it in a simple way. Like when I was a teacher, um, I thought I could, um, I could do better than um, the principal and the assistant principal. And I thought, well, geez, um, we need, we need some better, better leadership around here. And I'd like to do that for my peers. You know, it turns out like they didn't, they didn't want me to be an administrator there. But I left and went to a different school. And in that that move was like, well, I really enjoyed working with students. I mean, I was a coach and teacher. And I thought, well, being an assistant principal and working discipline, that would be that would be kind of fun because, you know, you're working with students all day. Um, So you do that for a little while. And then, again, you're like, you know what, I I, I should be in charge here, you know, Um, because I think I would do a better job. And I mean, I know that's like incredibly arrogant to say, but, you know.
0: It's just, I think we all, I think mean, anybody who steps up in a leadership position has some kind of thought like that. Like, you know what? I, I could probably do do this in a better way or a more creative way or, you know, yeah. my own style.
2: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's yeah. what, you know, and then you, you, you become a principal because you say, I want to work with the teachers. I want to make their lives better. I want to coach them. I want to work with them. I want to make sure that we have the best teachers. And then. And then you become you're a principal for a little while. I was principal for about uh, at the time I think it was about six years. It's really kind of a funny story. The the superintendent comes to me because they developed this new system where one person from the central office. Um, this I was in Seattle at the time, so they had you know like four assistants and one fold. And so they they kind of divided it up and like they would they would come out and do kind of an evaluation with you and your pastor. And so he he didn't really know me very well, the, the superintendent. And he says to me, "So I, I guess here's my question for you: what what do you uh, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to be?" And I, I think what he meant was like, "Is this the school that you want to end up, or do you see yourself in a different type of school?" Because I had previously been in a high school. This is a very small, struggling elementary school. So he was, I think, he was assuming that I would say. You know, he was going to give me some career advice about, oh, here's a school. Here's a school. Maybe go there and you'd be happier and so forth. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a superintendent. And he was like floored. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a superintendent. And he's like, why would you want to do that? And I was like, because I want to work with principals. I want to make their lives a little bit better and coach them up and uh, give them some leadership. And um, yeah, that's what I want to do. He was like... I don't, he he was flabbergasted. He was just like, I, I, I can't, I can't, wow. And he goes, uh, okay, well, let's see. Uh, and so he starts running down like superintendents in the state, in the area, like that might be retiring or openings. And he's like, I mean, I guess I'll just keep you in mind, you know, if one of those things open up. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, like, and I was like, I've just answered your question. Like, and so like at that point, like then so I that was two years before I came here. So like in those two years, I was like, okay, what kind of jobs are opening up? What are they looking for? Who's getting those jobs? What is their background? And so I would start to learn that. And so then this opened up and I was like, this is a cool gig because it's a one-person show. Okay. So like I literally Not only do I not have an assistant superintendent, I don't even have an administrative assistant. So I'm doing things out of my car. I mean, I do have an office, but uh, people call my cell phone, people text me, um, everybody does. And so, um, you know, but but the thing that was cool was I would learn personnel, policy, Catholic identity, curriculum, leadership, accreditation, you know, I, I would just get to learn it all. Whereas I think if I went and became an assistant superintendent, you would generally have one or two functions at, a, you know, one of the larger dioceses and then you wouldn't, then you wouldn't know about the other thing. So like that was what was cool about this gig.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say if a young guy said to you, uh, you yeah, Dr. Yule, I think I want to be a superintendent.
2: Well, I mean, but the first thing I would say is that's great. Cause I, I, I mean, I enjoy it. I love it. It's a great job. So I would say that, but I'm also really careful, um, to, cause I think what, what you, what you hear a lot is people say, Oh, that's nice. You know? And then they, um, cause they're afraid to say, cause there are people who become leaders who shouldn't be leaders. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. That mm-hmm. You know, it's not a good time for them. It's not a good match for them, or or it's just not a good thing. You know, the, just because you're a good principal doesn't mean you'll be a good superintendent. Okay. Just because you're a good teacher doesn't mean you're a good principal. So, I mean, I always say to people, look, are you like, if you're really serious and you want me to, to mentor you and help you, I will, but understand that I'm going to ask you some tough questions and I'm going to give you like my honest feedback. And I've told people, I mean, I told a guy that applied for a principal job and um, I looked at his resume and we didn't interview him and he called me and he was like, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you hire me? And I was like, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, you've had five jobs in the last seven years and you've been, your last two positions have ended abruptly. And so to me, I think what you need to do is take a step back and you need to go back in the classroom. You need to be a, be a leader at your school and work your way up again, because right now you could take the next job. And then if that one flames out, you're done. Like no one's ever going to hire you. So, you know, and he was so angry with me. He was so angry. Like he told people, like it it came around, like, I, like, Hey, I hear you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, I was just, he asked me for my opinion and I gave it to him. And, um, and so I'll do the same thing. Um, uh, but, but I tell you what, if there's people, I mean, what, what generally happens more frequently is I say to people, listen, you need to think about leadership. And they're like, no, no, no way. And I'm like, no, no, you need to think about leadership. Like this is, you've, you've got what it takes to do this. And they're like, nope, don't want to deal with the hassles, the headaches, the conflicts, the parents, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nah, it's a, you know. You get through it. You you learn the skills. Like that's not the worst thing. Like you can you can make it. So more more frequently, I'm trying to recruit people that I see. I'm trying to tap people on the shoulder who I see have have potential. Um, but more frequently than people coming to me and saying, "I want to be a leader. How can I?"
0: You're listening to the best of Catholic Education episodes here on Advancing Our Church. Our next guest is Jennifer Trefelner. Jennifer is the Director of Communications and Social Media Strategy for the Diocese of Palm Beach, uh, Jen has been on our show twice now. She was just on last week uh, with uh, Nick Regina. Jen uh, joined us in September and talked about data-driven strategies for communications. She did a fantastic job. Again, all of these episodes are up on our website Um Jennifer here talks a little bit about strategies that should be differentiated uh, depending on what generation you fall in uh, as a parent. And so she talks about really uh, targeting in on Generation X versus Millennials. Uh, Here is Jennifer Trefelner. Are more schools now working with a marketing plan probably than they were maybe five years ago? I I sense a, a stronger focus on that as people, because of the climate, because a lot of schools are struggling or recognizing that, you know, enrollment is a challenge. Parents don't just make that decision automatically anymore. They need to be convinced. They need to know that there's a strong academic program as well as the spiritual benefits of being part of a Catholic community. Are you finding that schools are being a little bit more maybe aggressive with having a marketing plan?
3: Absolutely, Jim. I think schools nowadays, they have to be strategic in their communications and their marketing and based on the competition of the different schools that have definitely improved in that realm for their own communications and marketing. Our Catholic schools throughout the United States are really putting a big push towards doing just that, um, which is very wise. So, you know, we understand that research shows that parents are picking schools and students are picking schools for various reasons, and as we're able to really showcase that information, it's definitely in the best interest of these schools, and I think they're moving forward with that as a general trend.
0: And uh, I know you've talked a little bit about, uh, from your own presentations, uh, some of the factors uh, that parents look at in choosing a school. Can you you talk a little bit about that for us?
3: Right. So definitely the perception of better academic quality, religious values, safety structure and discipline uh, in this day and age has been paramount in people's forefront of their decision making. And I think as Catholic schools can talk about that specifically, it definitely will behoove them. How is those value-added options, which are activities and leadership opportunities, kind of that face formation that also provides for schools and students to be able to become leaders in a specific area?
0: So, when I was working in the Diocese of Allentown, I oversaw school marketing uh, for the diocese. And we um, we kind of put together a group uh, called the Bishops Commission for Catholic Schools. And I think I've talked about this on the show before. But it was a group of business folks that really looked at the marketing and the way the business end of, of running the schools. And we had a big debate, a big discussion about does a parent uh, choose, when they choose a Catholic school or they're deciding on the education piece, what is the most important piece? Is it the faith formation, or is it the academic piece? Like, what is the first thing you think that they look at? Do you have a position on that?
3: Sure. So I I think parents nowadays, um, you know, depending on what generation they're coming from, are looking at a myriad of different things. And a lot of them like facts, and they like proof that not only are you saying you have strong academics, but these are the data points or the proof points behind them. They want a holistic education, so they know their kids will be educated mind, body, and spirit. Also, touching on that, you know, moral and spiritual development, I think, is important. Plus, another key component recently has been individualized attention. So, I think that parents are... They're pretty savvy shoppers nowadays. Sure. and So as they seek to address, do they want just an academic school or do they want something that is for their faith? I, I think they, they're looking at the whole package and they're really doing their research on websites and through school tours and shadow days and social media as well.
0: Oh, I totally agree. You know, and even something simple like making sure that your website is mobile friendly. You know, we know that. What is it? I don't know what the stats are today, but I know a few years ago they were saying, what, 60, 70% of the people that access the web are going to do that on their phone. It might be even higher today.
3: Uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. that That is a key component for sure.
0: So, going back to communications plan, what does a robust communications plan uh, include?
3: We touched on a little bit about those different components that can be added in. So, if your school has already a social media plan, The Comprehensive Advancement or Development Plan, Enrollment Management systems, that Crisis Communication Plan is very essential. Plus, things like a Branding or Identity Guide, all of those can be included in a robust plan, which should also include things such as, you know, your vision and mission statements. And then you're able to kind of flesh out there the goals, the audience's your short term for like one calendar year and then long term, which would be one to five years for your objectives, plus strategies that can coordinate with each of the audiences that you seek to reach through the different objectives. And of course, a key component to this plan too is to also include the budget details for what you anticipate those costs to be.
0: Who are the stakeholders? Who should be involved in developing this plan?
3: what each school has, and you know, if you've seen one Catholic school, you've seen one Catholic school. That's right. You know, (laughs) right? So some schools have a development director or a director of institutional advancement. Some may have a communications team, so whomever is going to be the point on this should definitely collaborate with the Advancement Committee of the School Advisory Council, the administration of the school. Um, If you work with your diocesan officials, uh, definitely to keep them in the loop. As far as the Approval process is concerned. In addition to collaborating with other entities that you know already have a plan such as this in place so you can learn best practices from them.
0: Uh, You know, there are so many great uh, studies out there on different generational trends. You know, the world changes so quickly uh, with technology and the focus. How did the generational trends impact a communications plan?
3: I love this question. So um, one thing I love to do is, you know, Work with different schools for them to really understand who their target audience is. So if you're trying to reach those in Generation Z, um, which are you know folks born typically from like 97 to 2015, you understand that 97% of them own a smartphone and they are on that smartphone more than any other generation. So they're averaging about three and a half hours for daily use. They also really value social causes and embrace multi. Culturalism. So, if you want to reach them, you may want to use a digital video platform research is showing that's really what they're geared toward. Um, Also, perhaps have a school-branded Snapchat filter. If you're looking to reach millennials, which are, you know, 22 to 38 years old, you know, they say that millennials tend to work smarter, not harder. Um, They're very tech savvy. They're multitaskers. So, if you're going to be placing ads on social media, you would want to gear those towards Instagram or Instagram stories where it's really eye-catching. You're very direct with your marketing information because you know they're multitasking while they're looking at those ads. If you're designing something in your communication plan where you want to reach parents of like middle school and high schooler students, maybe they're Gen X parents, uh, you know you want to really lean towards Facebook. And this generation, typically speaking, likes those data points that I referenced earlier. And Gen Xers can be skeptical. They really want tangible results. So maybe do more infographics with that group. And on the other side, if you want to reach boomers, and maybe these are folks you have identified as donors or alumni, perhaps grandparents of the school, you know, we know that they appreciate. Uh, emails, and they also are on Facebook. So they're less influenced by peer pressure, but they kind of have that bigger picture perspective. So curtailing your marketing messages for each of those generations really will help to drive home the messaging on the platform um, where they are active.
0: You're listening to the best of Catholic education episodes here on Advancing Our Church. Back in the spring of 2019, Changing Our World held a webinar to talk about the future of Catholic education, and it was conducted by our very own Brian Crimmins, who is the CEO of Changing Our World, and Matt Russell, the Chief Advancement and Business Development Officer for the National Catholic Education Association. And uh, in this conversation, Matt and Brian talk about the report that we published last spring. Uh, Brian really focuses on, in this segment, about philanthropy, uh, the opportunities for for innovation and Matt talks a little bit about uh, the offerings of NCEA and their focus for the Seton Symposium. And so, without further ado, here are Matt and Brian.
4: You know, when Matt talked about some of the early conversations we had, you know, I always felt I had a good understanding of what NCA was doing, and it turned out I, I didn't even have a half a clue to some of the great work uh, that the team does with all everyone on the phones, uh, clear partnership. And I know talking to Matt and the other leadership uh, folks at NCA. We had our own experiences of having worked in 35-plus different archdioceses and more than 500 Catholic elementary and and, and high schools and more than 1,000 parishes that we understood sort of the dynamics, the challenges, but also the opportunities, Uh, again, from our perspective that I felt when we got further into discussing how we could sort of put some of our thoughts together and some of our ideas together, you're you're now seeing an outgrowth of that. So just thank you to NCEA for the partnership. We're certainly thrilled on our side, and, you know, this webinar is just one example of hopefully the continued good work together. To so get us started uh, just as a way to maybe level set uh, and and kind of give some give everyone a perspective of when we think of philanthropy and we think of fundraising and you know, what what does it mean in terms of what today's donors are are up to? Um, if you can try to put them into a big box and kind of get an understanding of what they're interested in, it's important to know that they are changing. I think donors from even ten, certainly twenty years ago, um, why they give and and how they give and by which means um, with use of technology, et cetera, I think a lot of some of the very basic rules uh, that used to be in play for a long time in, in the world of fundraising are, I think, are, are up for grabs. You know, what's not different um, in many ways about today's donors is that they're really hands-on in many cases, looking for tangible results. You know, the days of being a phenomenal Catholic school, um, sort of being, quote-unquote, good enough, um, are quickly coming to an end, for better or for worse. Donors looking to see if we're truly moving the needle in the work that we're doing. Things like ROI, terminologies, increasingly the next generation, Generation Z, is one of, you know, has a social bent, a global awareness. Again, thanks to the technology and social media, they're just aware of a lot more information, have access to more information, which I think is is one part of what's made them who and how and the type of donors that they're going to become and and are. It's also the generation Generation Z specifically, uh, born after 1994. Um, you know, he or she is keenly aware of their own experiences. They've they've lived through two wars, uh, they've lived through a recession in their short lives already. They are facing increased um, sensitivity around debt, and a lot of this is what's driving their focus and their ROI metric-driven approach. From a global standpoint, they're also beginning to show clearly that they are with their purchasing power. Are looking for companies that have strong ethical and moral compasses, and I think if you layer that in again to the great works that the Catholic schools do, and you all do, if we get our messaging right, I actually think this next generation, all generations, but increasingly this next generation, our message is is really, really strong and will certainly resonate to them. And so I think if we if we think of that and we think of you know one other thing, one other note before we we I close this part about the today's donors is that. And I haven't had a chance to give a speech about this topic in and of itself. The one thing I do want to make note of is, and point out to the, to the audience here is that women are becoming, uh, for that matter, are actually here as the main leaders in philanthropy. And again, men and women and the differences in how they give is also something that all of us need to be continually mindful about today and certainly in the years ahead.
5: So I think one of the first things that we need to talk about as we begin to frame the conversation is let's remind ourselves, what are the challenges that we're facing? And clearly one of the biggest challenges that we all face and we know is that we are facing a significant decline in enrollment and numbers of school closures nationally. Uh, As we get down into the regional aspects, some regions are seeing much more strength, much more resilience than others based on demographic shifts. Uh, But overall, we know there's a lot of pressure on our enrollment numbers and our school numbers, especially at the elementary level. Over the past decade, we know that we have decreased the number of schools and population by at least 30 percent. Unfortunately, that pace continues, especially at the elementary level. The secondary school market has seen a bit more stability, especially in the number of schools. Uh, So the secondary schools have a little bit more stability within their ranks, but they're also under increased pressures in terms of funding their schools, keeping competitive modern programs available to the students and the families that are a much more discerning audience now, I think, than they were 20 years ago. And so those are, that's a real challenge that we face. And schools are no longer able to meet all of their operational needs based solely on tuition collection. And so the need for subsidies within the operational budgets of our schools is growing every year and with an increasing amount of pressure put on those subsidies. And those subsidies come from the parish, they come from the diocese, they come from outside funding organizations and and foundations. And while the schools are finding themselves in a situation where they have a growing need for those subsidies, those funding organizations themselves, especially the parish and the diocese, are under increasing pressure to have those funds available for what the schools are going to need. From an enrollment perspective and from a, a subsidy perspective, there is a there is a, a lot of pressure that is put on the on our organizations, right?
4: Yeah, and one of those is certainly the educational options. Meaning, there are more uh, out there, um, whether they be uh, charter schools, whether they be more successful uh, and more fu- morely f- more funded public schools. Um, certainly, more options for families to consider, even even homeschooling. And so, I think when we I know in some of our communications work that we've done, when we've been able to go out and do focus groups. Um, you know, it's it is. It's just a certain reminder, it hits you in the face when you we talk to parents. Their options are there for them. You know, unfortunately for us as well, the, uh, the Catholic Church, with no means a surprise to surprise anyone on this call, you know, finds itself in the news, uh, often on the front pages um, with what's going on. And so um, that will probably be with us, uh, unfortunately, um, for a few more months and years. Any chance I get, I'm, I'm screaming from the mountaintops about the amazing work that we have with Catholic schools, uh, hospitals, Catholic charities— so I hope uh, not to get lost behind the headlines this is the amazing work the church as a whole does, and certainly for this case, um, education.
5: Yeah, another great challenge that we have is finding and retaining effective leadership. One of the things that we know is that schools with great principles tend not to close, and schools that don't have great leadership tend to have trouble being a great school. So finding effective Catholic leadership for our schools is is paramount. How do we find them? How do we retain them, how do we train them uh, to be more effective as Catholic school leaders is a challenge that we face for a a positive spin on some of these challenges. That is one of the areas that we can have the most direct effect in the shortest amount of time by finding good leaders and giving them effective ways to be trained to make them better leaders in today's schools. Yeah, and one
4: point, is the last one here is an important one, I think, when we think about the challenges we face, and that is the ability to innovate. And so I often get a chance to talk to groups about when we think of even fundraising uh there's tremendous pressure even within nonprofits to find unrestricted dollars many of the today's donors I covered will often restrict their giving and that's often in my opinion it can be great but behind all that is something that's potentially dangerous and that is the need to innovate we need organizations to continue to try you know even if that means we try and we fail that's okay that's part of innovation and I think certainly of these challenges that Matt and I just took you through, and and there are others as well, certainly, innovation is going to be somewhere in here as a through line of what helps us figure our way out. And so I encourage all groups and all organizations to continue to try to be as innovative as possible. And for many donors, being open, being honest about the need to innovate uh, is something that's great. It gets them at the table and gets them wanting to sort of see that as well. And I think that is one area, one aspect of what will help us propel us forward for some of these very important challenges and difficult challenges that we face.
0: You're listening to the best of Catholic education episodes here on Advancing Our Church. Our next guest is Jason Morrison. Jason is the CEO for Catholic schools in the Diocese of Scranton in Pennsylvania. Gavin Mooney, who is our president for client services here at Changing Our World, caught up with Jason at the NCEA Seton Symposium, and they had uh, a nice interview in this clip I'm going to play. Jason talks a little bit about uh, a model that he is using to uh, implement, uh, to move his Catholic schools forward in the Diocese of Scranton. And what's so interesting about this clip, he talks about the urgency and the need to move forward quickly. Uh, And so in his own words, here is Jason Morrison.
6: And Jason, you've obviously been involved um, from a professional perspective, working with Catholic schools across the nation for a long time. So the genesis of what you're doing in Scranton, is that as a result of learnings from across the nation in terms of best practice? or
7: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. A lot of it is actually, you know, as we drive forward with a new vision in our diocese, a lot of it is looking back at some of the research um, and some of the things that not only NCEA has done and funded through the perceptions of Catholic education. You know, for example, within that research, you know, really outlined what families um, were looking at when they think about their educational choices. Um, so in the diocese, we are really taking a strong approach to enhancing and ensuring that our academic quality is the best uh, in the region. So we're investing a million dollars in uh, stream and um, stream education, which is really forward thinking, cross curricular um, and gets into all of the, the 21st century skills needed today you know, for students to really be successful, not only in school, but beyond. You know, so it's really being driven by, you know, some of my experiences looking at different models of best practices across the country and then some of the research that NCEA and VATICA have
6: done. Right. And STREAM, so science, technology, religion, engineering, art, and math. Yes, is that what the uh, acronym stands for? Um, why STREAM? Why is yeah. that the, the
7: focus? So I think, you know, STREAM is really a, a, you know, a differentiator for all Catholic schools. You know, anybody can do STEM. Um, And I think a lot of our public schools, you know, in public school districts, we need strong schools looking at those skill sets and they're doing it. Some people have, you know, started the foray into STEAM, you know, so adding the arts component to really get through and start to think about working collaboratively and creatively, which are two really important skills, but nobody else can do stream. So we add the religion piece, which in today's society, you know, is needed now more than ever. I mean, we need socially responsible citizens that are looking at the complexity of the problems facing our society now and into the future. You know, I think a lot of our, you know, one of the speakers was talking about it earlier about the change coming from within. I think that's coming from within in Catholic education. We need that, but also in our society, you know, the change coming from within, you know, is really going to involve people thinking about not only the problems, but thinking about them in a socially responsible way. And we have the opportunity to be able to do that with the Catholic and our faith piece uh, with Christ as the best
6: example for that. So obviously, we have a lot of listeners who might be superintendent of schools, might be educators, uh, leadership within diocese. When you look at Catholic schools, both individually and an aggregate in terms of system of Catholic schools, we obviously have lots of opportunities, but but um, there are lots of challenges as well: financial, operational, et cetera, et cetera. What was your? What would you advise in terms of your first steps Mm -hmm. that either a diocese or superintendent of school or school? Uh, representative or leadership to look under the hood and really understand um, how they can make a difference mm-hmm. in terms of sustaining Catholic education? What, what recommendations or ideas do you have for those first initial steps that they can take um, to ensure the future viability of their it's a great
7: question. I mean, I would say, you know, just as you alluded to, a lot of people are afraid to look under the hood. You have to look under the hood. Um, and you have to be comfortable with what's underneath the hood, and you have to be honest and open with, You know, that there may be, as you said, there are, of course, challenges. Uh, You know, I think every one of those challenges is an opportunity. Um, You know, so how do we take that um, and turn that into an an opportunity? You know, no different than even just going back to that research on perceptions of Catholic education. You know, I think perception is reality. What I say to our principals is we have the opportunity to change perception about what we are and how we become what we're going to do. So to do that, though, you got to take a look at really what's underneath that hood and you have to. You know, I spent a lot of time when I first started, I went to every school. Um, I started talking to constituencies. I was talking to parents. I was talking to alumni, you know, and finding out what are what do they think about us. Um, we actually even mirrored that perceptions on a national level of Catholic education. I talked to a, a few people in our work of, or in our area about, okay, well, let's take and see, does this research really even apply to us? A lot of people are going to say, oh, that's national research. It doesn't apply. So I said, let's take this and let's do our own research. And believe it or not, our own research mirrored exactly what the national research was saying. So, you know, I would say take that time to really look into that. But unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time. You know, I've I've said to, um, you know, to our principals and working with them is that we have to act with urgency. We have to execute and it's okay to fail. So let's try a couple of initiatives. You know, we, we've launched two big initiatives in our diocese. Some people might say, well, why don't you just do one in yeah. the first year um, you know, of your work? And I said, well, we just don't have the luxury of time, you know, as everything is changing. So, you know, so challenge, you know, challenge yourself, take a look underneath that hood and really be honest. And if it's okay if something's not great under there, you know, be honest about how you're going to approach it and how you're going to fix it. You know, in a couple of our schools, to be honest with you, our, our test scores weren't great. You know? yeah. That's okay. So let's take a uh, let's talk about that and see how we're going to change that and then move that forward. That's really what it's all about.
0: You're listening to the best of Catholic education here on Advancing Our Church. Our next guest is Mark Freund. Mark is the executive director of Lasallian Education. Um, again, at the Seton Symposium, our very own Caitlin McTighe, who's the managing director for Changing Our World had an interview with Mark, and they talked about Mark's experience of the Lasallian education, both as a young man and now as a Catholic school leader. So without further ado, here is Mark Freund.
8: So talk to me a bit more about the relationships in your own personal experience, you know, through Christian brother Mm -hmm. brother education Mm -hmm. that touched your heart and brought you to where you are today as the executive director.
9: (laughs) I fell in love with the brothers when I was a high school student. I grew up in a, in a town in Baltimore where there are two Catholic high schools in our part of town that people in my grade school traditionally would go to. And coincidentally, it's one of the nation's oldest Thanksgiving Day football rivalries mm. between the Jesuit preparatory school in Baltimore, Loyola Lakefield, and Calvert Hall, the first Christian Brothers permanent Christian Brothers ministry in the United States. So I fell in love with the brothers as a high school student way too many years ago for me to even mention here. But I still go back those days. I think I not only learned the elements of history and math and religion and all the other subjects that I took, I think that the best teacher I've ever had in my life was a brother was a member of the community who taught German in those years. I think that the relationships and the model of relationship that was built and modeled by the teachers and brothers, both the the, uh, the Lasallian partners, the teachers, the lay teachers, as we might call them, uh, and the brothers, really stuck with me. When I got out of college and I went to work for the arch rival across the other side of Towson, I was blessed. I was, uh, you know, other than the, other than the good-natured ribbing that would go from both sides, you know, the alumni friends, my, my alumni friends, and my friends at Blakefield, I was blessed to to learn a different way of looking at teaching and and interacting and it was a good one and again i have no criticisms but what sticks was stuck with me with the brothers and it stuck with me through my years even working in diocesan ministries was the centrality of relationship Mm -hmm. and it was the relationship that you built with the individual with the young person in whatever circumstance that it was you don't stand there and scream and yell if you're the principal of the school with someone who did something wrong. You try to figure out what it was and how you can best go forward in a pastoral way, whatever mm-hmm. the end result might have to be. So I think that, that the relationships that I built with teachers and staff, I'm still friendly with teachers who taught me more years ago than I would care to count. <laughs> and we still find that even in our 40th reunion, uh, which was a wonderful party a couple of years ago, we not only were blessed to have the brother president of the school with us, and as well he would, you know, it's an alumni event. It's something you would expect. But to have five or six teachers who taught us in the 1970s come back to, to share time with us, I think speaks very well to the charism of the mm-hmm. brothers, the Christian schools and Salian family schools in these United States.
8: Definitely. The longevity is... Is really remarkable, and it's it's certainly um, very special. I think to the Christian Brothers, which is amazing.
9: We have, uh, you know, the tagline. Every every organization that does a marketing study or a branding project comes up with a tagline, and I hate using using it to mm-hmm. be perfectly blunt, uh, because it, you know the taglines always tend to sound artificial. But in, in a very real sense. Ours is accurate. We've been transforming lives since 1680,
2: right. and
9: uh, and it's a ministry that we, we relish and cherish and we, we go forward with every day of the week. That's amazing.
0: You're listening to the best of Catholic education here on Advancing Our Church. Last but not least, today we have Colby Academy here in my own diocese of Allentown. So glad to have Dr. Brooke Cortese, the Chancellor for Catholic Education in the diocese, and Mr. John Petrozelli, who is the principal at Colby Academy. We had a terrific interview right before the start of the school year, and in this clip, Brooke and John talk about uh, the opportunities for Colby and how it began.
8: Prior to being in the diocese, I worked in public education, and um, my role in the public school system was special education, was my background and passion. So I used to oversee special education programs as their director, and a lot of the responsibility was to find appropriate programming for students, and what I experienced is nine times out of 10 when there was emotional and behavioral issues at the high school level, uh, there were substance abuse, um, issues also going on with that. And some of the programs that were available really were subpar academically and did not have, um, addiction and recovery supports at all. So it was really lacking. And it was something that really concerned me in, um, having to place students elsewhere, but knowing they weren't going to really get what they needed. Um, so it, it just something that, um, kind of stuck with me as a a concern and an issue, and I wanted a solution. So simultaneously, um, when I really was recognizing this, I was approached by another recovery school that's in Philadelphia, actually, that was opening, kind of like what we're doing. um, But this was back in 2008. And I thought this was a great concept. So I, I went and learned about the recovery high school model with intensive recovery supports and what that could look like. And it really inspired me to do some more research. And I found out at that time, there were about 50 recovery schools nationally um, that existed. So this was not a new concept, um, but not something that we had here in the Lehigh Valley. Um, so it, it really was inspiring to me. And I kind of took it and continued to do some research. But for me, there was something missing. And I wasn't sure what exactly it was at the time. Um, but I do believe that was God's hand in, in leading me not only here to the diocese, but to to help understand the spiritual aspect um, that is really necessary in a recovery high school model. Um, So coming into the Catholic school system, I learned about that, experienced that, and simultaneously learned how valuable and necessary it is for long-term recovery. Um, So addicts that achieve long-term recovery, which is considered 10 years or more, attribute that to their their spiritual journey. Um, And so for me, that just made sense. The spiritual aspect, strong academics, which what is what we have and, um, recovery support. So put that together, started to get involved in the community, um, approached, um, at the time we had an administrator, not a bishop, cause we were in between bishops and said, this is some of the community work we're doing. And I'm just making sure there's no conflict of interest with our value structure. He was super excited and said, this is great. We should open one. Um, so kind of gave me permission to, continue to do the research here locally. He said put a business plan together, talk to the board of ed. Um, got support from our board, um, put a business plan together and then we got a steering committee together, which is actually where John got involved and we've made it come to life, so it's been a really wonderful experience.
0: Oh, that's fantastic and and I would imagine uh, John, you know, your excitement of coming, coming into back to the Lehigh Valley and getting involved with this project. I mean, you came in as a volunteer and now you're going to lead this school. Tell us about that.
10: Yeah, it's really incredible. You know, Brooke talked about, you know, the hand of God, and I think that's really what it is. I remember uh, four years ago when I was still principal here in the Valley at Bethlehem Catholic, uh, Brooke was on a a panel discussion uh, after a a documentary about a recovery high school, and she invited all of us from the diocese to go. And I I remember watching that movie, uh, Generation Found, about Archway Academy, the recovery high school in Houston, and walking out with a colleague and saying, That is really cool. I would love to do something like that. Never in my wildest dreams thinking that, you know, four years later, here I am doing it. And, you know, um, I started initially with the committee. I left for a year. And then as things really started to gear up Brooke invited me back to be on the committee, and um, I think she was thinking other things other than the committee, which was fine for me now. Um, Now, Again, God's plan, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you you get in there, and it's hard not to be excited. It's hard not to see the passion that other people have and to know that we really are saving lives with what we're doing. And, you know, when the opportunity arose to be principal and, you know, um, you know, it was just such an easy decision to say yes, and I feel really blessed to not only be in the valley, but to be working with Brooke and and, and the diocese again, and uh, incredible leadership with my, uh, Bishop Schlert—not much senior Schlert anymore—but yeah, right. sure. you know to to have his faith in me to to lead such a special project. It's um, you know really humbling, but you know just so exciting.
0: Yeah. And um, and when you look at, you know, addictions like here in Pennsylvania and in the Lehigh Valley, how, do you have a sense of how we compare with other parts of the country? And-
8: sure. So definitely. And, and that's one of the reasons that this is a response to the need in the community. So Pennsylvania is the fourth highest in its overdose rates hmm. uh, nationally. So there's clearly a need. Um, there's there's a pocket of um, overdose between New York, Philadelphia, and right here in the Lehigh Valley. And, and we're a conduit between New York City and Philadelphia. So it really leaves us quite vulnerable. Definitely, we are high on that list nationally. Um, No pun intended there. You know, so it's a response. So not only, you know, with adults um, here, but it's the adolescents. And that's really the struggle and, and quite frightening in starting to do the local research that we did. The school is going to be located between two counties, Northampton County and Lehigh County. So in digging into that and talking to the counties, each county itself is doing about a thousand drug and alcohol assessments for kids ages 12 to 17 annually. Mm. And out of those 2000 kids, um, at least 90% of them are being referred for further, um, substance abuse support. So, and that's only the kids that we know, only the kids that are going for those assessments. So, um, there's definitely a need and our schools struggle, uh, not just Catholics, schools but our public schools struggle with how to meet these needs for students because none of them have recovery supports within their school system it's just not something that they do yet that is where the kids get their drugs so it's really this dichotomy that we're dealing with um, in education and we know we need to respond to it because if we can get the kids this support earlier then we decrease their chances of overdosing when they're in their 20s and 30s and that's where we're seeing the um, really high rates.
0: What an amazing story, Colby Academy, such a tremendous impact that they're going to make on so many lives. I knew that you'd want to get an update on this important story. And so I called up Brooke Cortese uh, just to find out a little bit more about how the fall went in their first school year. And so here's a brief clip from my conversation with Brooke. Well, Brooke, welcome back to the show. We're so glad to have you. Um, Congratulations on all your success this first year at Colby Academy. I assume it's been going well.
8: It has been an amazing year so far. Uh, And thank you so much for having me back on to share an update with you.
0: So, tell us a little bit about the first year.
8: So, I think there's been a lot of excitement in anticipation of students joining us. And I'm happy to report we have seven students uh, and two pending. So, we are thrilled with that. And it's been uh, really a blessing to be a part of their journey, to watch them walk through the door on day one um, with the anxiety and um, low confidence that they have in beginning this journey. And now watching uh, so many of them, we had one student just celebrate a hundred days and another student celebrate six months. Um, so it's, it's been really a blessing.
0: Brooke, I remember um, I wasn't there, but I saw the pictures of you and the bishop. You guys were cutting the ribbon on the new school with John Petrozelli, the principal. Um, That had to be somewhat of an emotional moment for you, right? I I know that you took this from its infancy. This was kind of your baby from the beginning. Um, What was that like, cutting the ribbon on a brand new school um, after all that great work you did?
8: It was uh, surreal, quite honestly. Um, I, I... purposely paused to enjoy the moment. Um, I could get tearful thinking about it um, and having it come alive and, and looking around at every person that I could know exactly how they were involved um, in helping it come to fruition uh, was just overwhelming. I had such joy in my heart um, to know that the way the spirit has been guiding me was able to come alive with the community. Um, and it's just so exciting to see it continue to grow.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. And and obviously very rewarding to see the kids and the families that are benefiting from those services.
8: Yes, the families uh, are a special part of this. You know, um, I, I mentioned the students transformation over these last few months and the families, too you know, uh, over Christmas break, uh, Mr. Petroselli and the staff, um, and the families went out to do some activities together. They had a whole day planned, they had lunch, they went out, um, and did something together just for fun to spend time together. So the, um, the relationships and support structures formally and informally, those bonds that have formed, um, really, uh, are an example of what uh, a faith family and our community is all about. So that's been um, really unique, I think, to Colby because so often our schools engage our families, but this is at just such an intimate level um, because of the unique um, struggle they have um, with a, a child with substance abuse disorder. Um, again, it's 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 really neat to watch those relationships uh, grow.
0: Brooke, what is uh, give me one of your. Uh, greatest surprises, uh, greatest joys of, of the year so far?
8: Greatest surprise and greatest joy of this year so far, I would say um, greatest joy um, is celebrating the 100 days um, with our first student that enrolled, um, in watching that transformation, um, being an intimate part of working with the family and the student. Um, we had a, a special day at the school that was set up. Um, and, um, that really brought me the greatest joy. Cause that's what it's all about for us to be able to know that we impacted his life. And he now has a foundation in recovery that can carry him moving forward. Um, and to see literally the light in his eyes, um, turn on again. Um, and that's just been amazing.
0: Wonderful. Well, Brooke, thanks for coming back on the show and giving us a little bit of an update. We'll stay in touch, and uh, good luck with the rest of the school year.
8: Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.
0: And that was the best of Catholic education here on Advancing Our Church. On behalf of all of us at Changing Our World, we want to wish all of you a very happy and successful Catholic Schools Week. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm which has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.